Hi, it's Tony. On today's show, we will talk with Pat Forty about all the coaching changes across college football. We'll get NFL picks from James Carville and Jeff Ma. But first, commerce. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. That was very upsetting to me because I tried a lot this morning and I couldn't do it and I had to stop and put on the Lilyhammer jacket. It was just fine because it's not windy this morning. But I'd like to be able to use the carbon coat. So I'm thinking about this, Michael. Maybe I should just have you put the zipper in so it works and then put the coat on over my head and take it off over my head time and again. So I'm sort of imagining what they do at preschool, which is called the flip trick, where we put the coat on the ground and then you put your arms in and flip it over your head. (laughs) The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. What jacket was I wearing this morning? The carbon jacket. Uh, did I do it myself? Zipped it up. Someone zipped it up. I'm not sure if it was you. <laughs> I zipped it up. Jesse, mom, we're about to note. Now I will tell you that you know I thought it was the warmest coat in the world, and it's it's really not warmer than the Lilyhammer coat. Lilyhammer longer, but it, yeah, provides it's more length. protective. It's more protective because it's longer, and it is snowing right now in Washington D.C. And this is so interesting to me because I'm sort of slavishly devoted to weather forecasts that impact my life. And I was paying attention to this all week as they called for more snow and then less snow and then more snow and then less snow. On one of my apps on my phone, the AccuWeather, which allegedly gives me exactly what's going to happen where I live, it said I was going to get four to six inches. It said this as recently as 30 hours ago, four to six inches. Which is significant. Then last night, it, it revised downward, one to three. The Capital Weather Gang, who I pay attention to and who have my fealty, the Capital Weather Gang, they were saying they thought it was going to not be that big a deal. 24 hours ago or 40 hours ago, not that big a deal. Maybe just one to two inches. Uh, they shifted last night. They did. Last night, when I read it late, they said, no, this is going up. Boom or bust. This is going up. And so this morning, at three in the morning four in the morning i looked out my window and uh it was coming down hard i mean it it was supposed to be snow showers and it was supposed to be a light snow and the accumulation because they were it's going to go until this evening right the accumulation wasn't going to be that much no the accumulating snow is going to be around dawn to early morning and then it'll continue with showers throughout the day but not much more okay so i would say we've gotten three inches already I would say a little bit more than three. Yeah. Feels like it. Because all of the all of the things that were bare over the last two or three days are now filled with snow. Yeah. Filled with snow. So, I, and, and by the way, in case David Remnick is listening, these pants are great. You ought to get a pair. <laughs> you know, you're the editor of The New Yorker, for God's sakes. You can afford a pair of fleece-lined pants. Now, are you I cuffing can. the bottom to show off that flannel? No, no. And it's, it's not color. You know, it's not, mm. it doesn't have That's any a missed pattern. Yeah. Right, it's just plain fleece. But the, the, I've worn them four or five days in a row in the mornings and will for another two or three because it's going to be under 25, and they are warm. I have to say they're warm, so I'm happy about that. That was a good purchase, even though, as Michael is quick to point out, they don't fit at all. You got the wrong size. You, yeah. haven't, you haven't been that size in over five years. <laughs> yeah, so I... I did get the wrong size, but it, you know. <laughs> we're we're going to update you throughout the morning with uh, the forecast for other areas that you might be driving through. So for people who did not get the Christmas card that I sent out this year, I had written something on the back of one of Carol's paintings. In other words, the, the painting on the front is a snow scene. 
If you didn't get it, I'll tell you what it says. On the back, it says it's pretty, isn't it? It's a snow scene. Everybody thinks snow scene's really pretty, right? I hate snow. <laughs> you know, so you can gaze at this picture and you can say, that's beautiful, but do me a favor, shovel me out. This was the hostage card? Yeah, that was pretty much it. <laughs> that was pretty much it. So, Invisible ink. Uh, I haven't had anybody come over yet to shovel me out, although Michael did. Uh, sh- glad to see that you noticed I wiped off both of your cars this morning. That's very nice. I only care about mine because I'm a selfish <laughs> human being. I'm an only child, and I only care about mine. Uh, do you wipe off the, the roof of your car, or do you just no. wait for uh, gravity to take care yeah, of that? Yeah, I don't really care about that. But more snow than I thought at an earlier hour. So my, my worry, my apprehension, is that there will be five or six or seven inches of snow because of what was predicted in terms of the volume of snow throughout the rest of the day. But you're saying it's, it's just right. Be- so if you, if you're willing to go all in with capital weather gang and a group I trust and you trust, I do. And I think what Jason the, the, Samino, semi, the best semi. thing they do is they don't shy away from their forecast. They tell you exactly where they thought it was going, what actually happened. So for the rest of the today, they've, they fit their numbers, they fit their mark and they think we're going to get less than a, another total inch. Is that right? Yeah. You read you read a recent one? I've not read something from the last couple hours, but well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. You're interpreting what you saw on television. Editorialize against Chuck Bell. Oh, Chuck Bell's not the Capital Weather Gang. We're gonna wait for a. Uh, we we got to see what Sammy or Ian Livingston or you know or West Junker. What do they say? They're in the Capital Weather Gang. So I'm reading it right now. It says when all is said. Well, wait, wait, wait. When is when was the posting right. of that? This we get the latest Euro right. Seven a.m. Oh, okay. Well, we 7 a.m. is fine. That's within yes. an hour or so. Uh, when is, all is said and done, we should be looking at totals of 2 to 5 inches, generally yeah. increasing as you go from south to north across the area. Should be a fun day for sledding. Okay. All right. So anyway. Um, I look forward to changing out all the kids in their wet clothes. We don't have a pro football guest today because we've had Jason on and you know, we, don't, we just don't I'm, need I'm it. Peter King. Yeah, we had Peter King. Peter, they were great. So yes. what more do you need? Uh, there are these four games this weekend. These are, this is the best weekend of the year. You know, only, only four games, but it's the best weekend of the year. It's better than the championship weekends because it's four games and not two games. Yeah. So we've got Kansas City-Buffalo, which is the feature game on Sunday night. We've got um, Houston at Baltimore, which is the game that everybody thinks, wow, if Houston's that good, they go into Baltimore, maybe they win that game under cold, windy conditions, I think. It's the first quarter. You really want to see how it starts. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you got Green Bay at San Francisco. You know, most people seem to think San Francisco will do fine, but but you don't know. And Tampa Bay at Detroit, and nobody really understands that game. <laughs> nobody really understands that game, especially people who say that it's going to be outdoors because it's not going to be outdoors because <laughs> Ford Field is indoors. Yeah, yes. How are you preparing for a cold weather game? You know, Ford Field is indoors, <laughs> and, and he asked that who the he asked the coach of Tampa Bay. Right. Oh, that's Some right. Yeah. As a coach of Tampa Bay, how are you preparing, are you to, play preparing to play outdoors in Detroit? And he looked at him and he said, <laughs> it's, it's, "It's an indoor stadium. What do you like?" The look said, "What are you, an idiot?" Come on, man. It's an indoor stadium. Who's the coach? Because he used to be here. He was at Washington. Oh, he was defensive back at Washington. Everybody used to be Hold here. On. No, he was defensive back at Washington. Give me a second. And he took over for Bruce Arians, and he did a very good job. Tampa coach is Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles. Thank Todd you. Bowles. Sorry. Okay, and Todd Bowles was here. As a defensive back. So we have, we have a nice feeling about Todd Bowles. So I wanted to say that. And I wanted to just do one other thing. Mike, because we're not going to get to this. Because we don't have a guest on this. Mike McCarthy is staying. Yeah. We don't know yet about Nick Sirianni. Yeah. But Mike McCarthy is staying. 
And as I said on PTI yesterday, I think it was a surprise to most people. I think it was a surprise to Mike McCarthy. <laughs> you know, I really thought that Jerry Jones would take a run at Bill Belichick, which is not to say that he hasn't. It's possible Bill Belichick was contacted or his representatives were contacted. And, and he said, no, if I were Bill Belichick, I'd want that job because you can win right away. That's a team that's won 12 games in a row, 12, 12 games a year, three years in a row. Yeah, That's a playoff team every year. So you also need to understand about Jerry Jones. He does not wield, uh, you know, a crazy axe. He's not that bozo in Carolina. He's not. He kept Jason Garrett for 10 years, and Jason Garrett only had three 10-win seasons. Mike McCarthy's record is significantly better than Jason Garrett's, and he lets people go to the end of contracts. See, that's what he's always done if he can, if it's not disastrous, and he probably doesn't think this is disastrous. We don't know yet about... Sirianni, we don't know where Belichick is going. We don't know you did see that any of these things. Belichick is taking a second, a second interview with Atlanta, which I don't understand. It's baffling. Unless Atlanta has a quarterback. Unless, unless the owner, Arthur Blank, is going to say to him, you tell me who we want, we'll get him. Now, yeah. it's different. If that's the commitment, and then if I'm Bill Belichick, I say, I want this guy, and when you get him, then I'll talk to you. Yeah. Because I don't want to be strong Or if he's alone. trolling him again, just like the Super Bowl. If it's not going to work. <laughs> right, right where he was dancing on the sidelines, and Bill Belichick, they had a 28-point comeback. <laughs> and he had to stop dancing on the sidelines. I'm, I'm not crazy about that. Guy. No, you're not, you're not a fan. That's just me. All right, so we'll see how much snow we get. Do you have anything to say about the games? Is there any upset special? Is there anything you want to say? You can say this is the time. I mean, I do think it's interesting. I, I think Baltimore will win. Yeah. But Lamar Jackson does not have a great playoff. No, he's one and three or yeah. one and four. He's so terrible in the playoffs. Sticks. I think, Michael, you're 100% right. The first quarter, really, if they if they fall behind, then they start to feel some pressure. So Wilbon and well, I did this thing. And the it's other a day. Saturday of wondering what, what does that week of rest mean for both those teams? Yes. Wilbon and I were it's asked to do a Sports Center segment on who's, what quarterback's under the most pressure. And Wilbon said it was Lamar Jackson, and I said it was Josh Allen. And Wilbon said to me, Do you think Buffalo's going to win? And I said, well, if I was still in Binghamton, I would say yes. But no, honestly, I don't. And so he said, see, you think Kansas City is going to win. So Josh Allen's not under pressure. But Lamar, do you think Lamar Jackson's going to win? I said, yes. Yeah. So, well, he's under the most pressure. And what I was too stupid to say at the time, because I just wanted the segment to end. And it didn't matter to me. <laughs> I just wanted it to end. But what I was too stupid to say at the time was this. Yeah, but Baltimore's carried by its defense. Yeah. That takes pressure away from Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson would have to be really bad to lose because that defense is really good and they're playing at home. Yeah. You know, which is not Cleveland, supposedly a great defense, traveling and had no defense whatsoever. All right. So we've got uh, a couple of predictors today. We've got Carvel and Ma. We don't know if we have Carvel, but we Carvel has already texted and said that he's ready. I'm up. Okay. And, so. and next we have Pat Forty. We're going to talk yes. about all of these incredible changes in college football with Pat Forty. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. 
Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is from Nathan Morris, who writes, Your reputation precedes you. I would be honored and privileged to be a small part of your show and what you are doing having my show featured on your awesome show. Musician Mortician. 555,000 followers on TT. What is TT? What Not does sure. that mean? TikTok? TikTok? Oh, could be. Yes, must be. Isn't that the, an agent of the Chinese government? Nathan, get off that. <laughs> I wrote songs to work through the weight of the funeral profession, and these songs are connecting with people. I look forward to hearing from you and making something happen. In the meantime, you have any insight as to why the Buffalo Bills Future Stadium still doesn't have a dome? You think they'd learn by now? I think they think it's a huge advantage I to think have they the do. snow. Yeah. So that would be my guess. This is called Last Time, which he says is currently number 20 on the AC charts. AC Atlantic City or air conditioning. <laughs> but we like Nathan Morrison. We're happy to play his music. And he plays in Pat Forty. And I, I, we have not talked with Pat about all the changes in college coaching. So we start with this on a scale of 1 to 10. And you've had time to think about this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised were you by Nick Saban saying, I'm done? Because I would give it an um, 8 or a 9, me personally. I would say actually more like a 5 or 6, except for you just didn't see it coming that day. Oh, okay. Um, or really, once we got past the season, I don't know. I, I, I was shocked but not surprised, if that, if that makes sense. Like, it was like all of a sudden out of the blue, Nick Sam is retiring. But there had been some speculation uh, that, that this was going to be it for him. So, you know, they, that, there had at least been a little kind of persistent rumbling through the season, increasing a little bit late in the season. So I can't say that I was completely shocked. I was, because I'm not, I don't have my ear to the ground on college football, except through you. So I was. Why did he do it? Uh, from what I've heard, he just felt like he was getting to the point where working, you know, 16 hours a day or however much he does was, was not as easy as it used to be, not as enjoyable as it used to be. That, you know, he, he only knows one way to do his job. Right. And it's complete obsession, and it's round the clock and around the calendar, and I think that he was finding it a little bit less easy to perform at age 72, which I can could, I could understand. Other than ageless Tony Kornheiser, nobody's really rolling along quite as well at uh, advanced ages, it doesn't seem like. so. Yeah, I take uh, naps, though, during the day, and Saban doesn't. <laughs> you know, right, so. yeah. You can probably also get by on more than Little Debbie's. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I just think he finally was, like, at a point, where, you know, whether the, the external realities of what's going on in college sports had something to do with it, they might have, but he hasn't come out and said that. Alabama acted very, very fast to replace him. In the pros, this doesn't happen. In college, sometimes it doesn't happen. Why did they go so fast? Um, the main thing, I think, was to try to keep together their roster, which didn't work, by right. the way. Right. But, you know, I think that there is such an imperative now when you change coaches in college sports that, well, everybody's going to hit the transfer portal. We need another coach in here to solidify things. So I think there was that. And I think also, you know, again, I, this probably was not a shock to Greg Byrne, the athletic director there. I'm sure he had a list and knew what was going on. And coincidentally, Nick Saban's agent, Jimmy Sexton, also happens to be the agent That's of right. every 
That's right. main contender for this job. He's Scott so Boris. Probably wasn't hard to have some internal communications about yeah. where this was going to go. All right. So so Saban does this, and you have to immediately react. And you you know Saban is old news, and the new news is who's going to be the coach. Did you have DeBoer first, or did you have somebody else first? Yeah, I didn't have him first, no. Um, You know, I thought it was probably more of a Mike Norvell, uh, Mm -hmm. Steve Sarkeesian uh, situation. Um, But obviously, uh, whether whether DeBoer really was first or whether those guys were first and said no, I don't know. Um, but DeBoer was definitely on the list. I think we had a list of like eight people, some of which were much more realistic than others, but I would have put him on the realistic list of about four or five. So DeBoer, I read today, DeBoer got one of his quarterbacks to go with him, but I would think unless the Alabama kid, Milrow, is that his name, transferred out, I would think he's earned the job. Yeah, uh, that's that's the one position that I don't think there's uh... – going to be any churn or debate about there at, at Alabama. I mean, Milrow, while he had some difficult moments, I mean, he had ultimately had a fantastic season yeah. as a first-year starter and seems like he has a lot of upside for continued improvement. I was surprised. I mean, I've got a guy who is plugged in. He's got a real good friend who's plugged into the Alabama booster world. And I had said to him, well, Dabo Sweeney, right? Because he went to Alabama, and then he said, oh, no, 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 no. They don't like Dabo Sweeney. I didn't know that. That's true, right, Pat? Um, yeah, I'm not sure there's, like, outright antipathy there, but, but you know, there was enough uh, rivalry competition, um, so to speak. I mean, they, they obviously played each other, Clemson, Alabama, in multiple championship games. Yeah, Dabo is a polarizing guy. Um, he was not from the Saban tree. He was from the Gene Stallings era. Right. So any backers that he may have were, you know, fairly probably outdated in terms of the here and now there. Um, and, yeah, the way Dabo's done things, I think, you know, people people like him or don't like him. And just because he went to Alabama doesn't mean you have to like him. Yeah, so I was surprised at that. I will note that Dan Lanning took himself out of it and said he was staying at Oregon, which doesn't really mean that anybody asked him if he wanted to have the Alabama job, but it was a smart move. Sarkeesian and everybody else who was mentioned, all of the Jimmy Sexton clients, got enormous raises. Enormous raises, right, Pat? I mean, it's, it's remarkable what happened. Oh, this, this is the Jimmy Sexton power play of all time. It's amazing. And, yeah, I, you know, only Alabama and Jimmy Sexton know for sure how involved those coaches were in the Alabama search. Right. But they played it, and... Sarkeesian got a big raise. Norvell got a big raise. Um, Lanning had gotten his raise like in July, I think. Uh, so he didn't get another one. But, uh, you know, and Kalen DeBoer gets a big raise going from Washington to Alabama. It, it is, this is how the sausage really gets made in college football, especially in the South, because Jimmy Sexton controls everything. All right. So Washington has an opening, and they went for who? And they went pretty fast. Yeah, they went for Jed Fish from Arizona. Arizona. Um, Seemingly a a very logical move there. A lot of success on the West Coast. I mean, took a dead program. uh, Had a winning record in year two. Had went 10 wins this year. Plays an exciting style. Has a star freshman quarterback. And everybody is anxiously watching whether he's going with Jed Fish. And a star receiver who may do the same. Or whether they'll stay at Arizona. So uh, that was kind of a, a no-brainer move, it seemed like, and 
the domino, one more domino fell. And Arizona went for who? Brent Brennan from San Jose State, who has ties to the Dick Tomey era at Arizona. Uh, and really, basically, a lot of people thought he was going to get the job three years ago when Fish got it. Right. And he was still at San Jose State and doing good work. And so that was a quick plug and play there. So what interests me is the geography of this. The two teams with vacant positions in the West, Washington and Arizona, got people from the West. Alabama took a guy from pretty far away. That's like a three and a half hour flight from Alabama to Seattle. That's a long distance. Why DeBoer? Um, I think that it was basically a feeling that he's got the offensive acumen. He's got the staff building, roster building acumen. Um, I mean, his record is ridiculous. He was 25-3 yes. and three at Washington. He had a 10-win season at Fresno State. He was a successful offensive coordinator at Indiana, where nobody is successful. And then there was his Sioux Falls days oof, in the NAIA oof, when oof. he went 67-3 and three and won three national championships. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ridiculous. So he is a absolute winner. Uh, the question is whether he is an absolute Southeast recruiter. Yeah, We're that's... find that out. And he's, he's, all, he's fine-tuned his staff to a degree to, to have some regional um, experience in that area. Remember Brett Bielma? He's a really good oh, coach yeah. at Wisconsin. And he went down to the SEC, and he got his brains beaten in. Am I right on that? Yeah, got fired after like four seasons at Arkansas. Yes, sir. Because it's different. It's different. Yep. Um, Bronco Mendenhall, is that the guy's name, who was at BYU, and he went to the University of Virginia. He's a fine coach. It didn't work. Because I think I'm asking you how, how significant is being grounded in a certain region. Well, I mean, it's a risk. Uh, but it's not an absolute, I would say. Nick Saban had no back base, uh, no uh, experience in the South before he went to LSU and won a national championship. Right. Urban Meyer had no experience in the South before he went from Utah to there and won two to Florida and won two national championships. So it can be done, but you really do have to get recruiters who understand the landscape and the culture. I think I, I really do think that's important and. If you come in total fish out of water, another one, Brian Harson, who had been at Boise State and went to Auburn and was run out in less than two years. Yeah. Uh, you know, it can be difficult. And at a place like Alabama, guess what? They're not very patient. I no. mean, they've, and they've had a lot of very good players hit the portal here. I mean, like the Alabama fan base is absolutely losing their minds right now because they're not used to anything not going their way. And... We'll see whether Kalen DeBoer can get things going his way fast enough to calm them down. I'll get out of that sport and go to college basketball for a second. This guy Rodney Terry, the coach at Texas, and the horns down. Are you kidding me with this stuff? Right? What is he talking about? Texas is is the king of hurt feelings over <laughs> horns down. I mean, it's unbelievable. But this was, yeah, this was maybe the the, the greatest manifestation of it yet. I mean... Usually the coaches can suck it up and rise above their hurt feelings, and it's the fans and maybe the administrators that get uh, their knickers in a twist over it. But, uh, I mean, come on. This is 2024 now. What, what exactly are you doing, and what are you expecting from opposing teams and fans? Uh, to me, this is Texas being Texas. Yeah. Um, did I read that there's a Miami tight end who was given a ninth year of eligibility? 
How old was yeah. he? Forty? What? What do you? How does this work? I, I mean, frankly, do, do you still want to, you know, hang around with kids? Apparently, he does. I mean, he's like twenty-seven years old, twenty-eight. Uh, I mean, I feel bad. He's had four season-ending injuries, but I, I like eventually. Maybe you want to move on. I don't know. I mean, I can't, you know, blame somebody for wanting to milk college. I guess for all they're worth, but. I also do remember, I have to say, that on March 12th, 2020, when the world shut down, that there were winter sport athletes in the NCAA who were seniors whose career ended without finishing their fourth season. He's getting nine. Nine He's seasons. Double. Let me so. try to explain how long this is. You get your degree, you go to medical school, <laughs> then you do two years of psychiatric <laughs> training. That's nine. <laughs> You know, nine is ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. I, yeah, just, no, I mean, he's going to be eligible for Social Security and still playing <laughs> at college football. Unbelievable. Plug your podcast for us, Pat. Uh, college Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel, Ross Dellinger, uh, 1A to year 1B or the other way around. Uh, give us a listen. We're year-round, not just during college football season. Thank you, Pat. Pat Forty, boys and girls, we'll take a break. We hope to have James Carville. We think we'll have Jeff Ma when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening, You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Well, you wake up in the morning, boy. You hear the ding-dong ring. Then you look upon the table, boy. You see the same darn thing. This is Paul Evans with Midnight Special, James Carville's walk-up music. You may know the Johnny Rivers no tune, but we play this enough. Carville had a great week last week. Yes. Carville was 4-1 and one and uh. needed one more carry by Josh Allen and had half a quarter to get it. The over-under was 8.5. <laughs> you went over. He had 8. He didn't get 9. You must have been watching the TV saying, run, no. just run. <laughs> What, what? I just said, man, just gets the ball with 20 seconds left and let him fall on it. All right? That's all I had, all I had to do to win it. And I, I was feeling pretty good, but it didn't work out that way. But, you know, when you go back the year, you, you've had some real, real heartbreakers. But you, you always put, pull a couple of three out of your <laughs> too. So, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, That's four it. and one is really good. Four and one's really yeah, good. We'll, we'll take that every time. All right. So what do you want this week? What do you want? All right. In consultation with ACL Sports and T-Boy Latchley, this is what we're coming with this week. Uh, In the Texans v. Rangers, uh, the total of that game is 43.5, and we're going over. You're going to take the over on Houston and Baltimore, okay? Right. Okay. And then uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel to everybody's favorite team now, the Detroit Lions. Uh, I would take Tampa Bay and the six and a half points. I can give you seven because Chuck Todd okay. got seven two days ago. Oh, I'll give God you seven. Damn, that <laughs> gets everything. That's <laughs> Christ. If you just get a good football team in Miami, you'd be happy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we'll give you seven. All right, seven. We got seven. Okay. Yeah. And uh, let's go over on that game. Over forty-eight and a half. Oh, okay. Over as well. Right. And okay. then uh, we got the uh, the 49er game, Green cool. Bay and the 49ers. Mm-hmm. That is our blue plate special. We're making a double play. Double play. On the home team, 
and we're laying 9.5 points. You know what we're going to do for you? Because so Chuck Todd got eight. So does Chuck Todd get eight? We'll give you eight. San Francisco minus eight. How good is that? Oh, I mean, y'all had the stuff out like candy this morning. I'm taking it. We got it. At <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, know, you got to be able yeah, to get what, what's I'm, out there. Well, James is a preferred I, customer. Blanche, yeah. I'm in Blanche, New Bar City. I'm always dependent on the kindness of things. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, you got one more, uh, right? Jerry, Buffalo, Jerry, Kansas I, City. Yeah, and uh, uh, Kansas City, but Bills. It's, you got minus bills minus two and a half. Two and a half, we do. Actually, actually, we had three and a half at one point. We well, had three and a half. We'll we'll give you two and a half because we like <laughs> you. <laughs> we like and, and you. Guess what? And guess who I'm taking? Oh no, the bills. You're going to take the bills. Oh yeah, you know, I, I, you have to be if you're any kind of a sports fan and you don't have a team in here. And of course, you never go. I'm glad I'm going with my my betting interest, but you got to be pulling for the bills. Yes. Huh? Just they've never won. I mean, uh, I'm not pulling for the Lions because I've been. Nah, but they've never won. won. Oh, the Lions, eh, the Lions, no, you pull for the Bills. All right, James. Well, I got, I got points. I, maybe the Lions will, you know, win by four and I'll be fine. But I, I, I'm always for down-and-out places, being the, you know, from the ultimate time. The king of down-and-out places, Good. Mr. James there Carville. There you go. All right, thanks. Yeah. Best to everybody right, at home. All right. Good deal. James Carville. I always, always like Chuck Todd's numbers because they always he always gets the good ones and I get the stiff. So thank you. Okay. Yeah, we gave him the good numbers. All right. And James only cursed once or twice in that, so that was good. My son broke up when James <laughs> lit a firecracker under Chuck Todd with that. So now we'll try and get. Oh, I should say this. Let me just read this. Get you're going to get Jeff Ma. Yes. This week's picks with James Carville and Jeff Ma are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Carver was the only human being to win last week. Reginald was 2-1, and one, but he is a simian. Yes. Uh, Chuck Todd was 2-4. and four. Jeff Ma was 2-4. and four. You know, we have to talk to Jeff about that because maybe it's harder to bet the playoffs. That's what we'll ask Jeff when Jeff comes in. I was in, sort of hoping you'd give uh, James the snow total, see if you would take the over. Oh, yeah. I don't think James cares all that much about the snow totals in Washington anymore. Not sure. I think you gave him a good line Living on in it. New Orleans. Do we have Jeff? Uh, he's not picking up. We're going to try him one more time. All right. If Hopefully we don't get works. him, we don't get him. We move yeah. on. Yeah. We'll get his. I mean, we'll just call him and get his picks. You know, because we had Carville. There's nothing else we need. Oh, there's a. That's probably oh. Jeff. Hey, All right. Um, we'll plug him in and we'll bring him on to the show. Two and four. Not good. And Jeff, you can hear us. All right. Right. right? Yeah, tough week two and four. Tough week. You want to explain it? Is it? It is it? Is there a difference betting the playoffs than the regular season in your mind? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the playoff markets are very efficient, right? And I think you talk a little bit often during the season about week one and you know, like the end of the season and all that kind of stuff. And the reality is that. Um, there's a lot of, I think, more inefficiencies early on in the NFL season. And even in that last week, we talked about all these different inefficiencies that were there in terms of, you know, people not understanding who's going to rest and motivations and things like that. Um, and then in the, in the playoffs, you know, there's just, you know, it's kind of known. The market's a lot more um, efficient. You know, you see these lines 
they don't move nearly as much as they do in, in the uh, in the in the regular season, especially late. Um, so yeah, I mean, la- last week I had some bad handicaps. I mean, obviously Philly was a no show. Um, yeah. Cleveland yeah. seemed to be a much better defense at home than on the road, and, and certainly C.J. Stroud looks to be a, a, a running back, a quarterback defying sort of a lot of the logic around rookies. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think for the market was, you know, again, like the market's efficient, the, the angles that you're looking at um, are different, and, uh, you know, I would say, it's it's uh, it's harder to find edges probably in in the playoffs than it is necessarily in the regular season. Three of the four home teams won, but only two of them covered. So does is is that mean is home road is that meaningful to you in the playoffs? Yeah, it's meaningful. I think the thing that is interesting to think about, you know, you see it this week with like a CJ Stroud situation where he goes on the road where he's been much worse than he's been at home. If you look at his splits Mm -hmm. and you have to wonder at this point, is that meaningful or not? Because one of the things from an analytical perspective that is so challenging about the NFL is it's such a small sample size. I mean, in the, in baseball, you have 162 games and uh, basketball, you have 82 games and and football, you have, you know, 17 and it's just not very meaningful sometimes. And so, yeah, when you think about it, like a CJ Stroud's home road splits, do they mean that much at the end of the season? Or has this just been sort of like, you know, one of those things that's just been a little bit of noise? I mean, even you see it in Dallas, right? Everyone thought last week Dallas is this just unbeatable home team. They got killed. They've been so great at home. And, and yeah. you know, they, they laid an egg. Yeah, they did. All right, what do you got for us this week? Well, so the other theme going into this week is a little bit of the buys and the value of the buys. Right. We've talked about it before. It's about one, you know, a little over a point. Um, I think you see some value here in those buy teams where I don't know if they're taking into account quite that much value. So I'm going to take Baltimore over Houston, um, you know, the, the, the minus the nine and a half. I, I think this is uh, a game again where, you know, has Houston accomplish what they you know set out to kind of accomplish is that they're playing with the house money but he, the only thing that holds me back here is is you know Lamar's playoff history bad but again is that is that real or is that just a small sample size uh, but you'd expect Baltimore to be able to stop Houston um, reasonably reasonably well um, as we said CD Stroud has struggled a bit on the road um, the, he does not have a ton of, of weapons um, right now that are healthy. You know, Nico Collins has been sort of the guy, but can Baltimore with you know an extra week of prep shut him down? Um, I expect Baltimore to win this game. Okay, um, and win this game by more than nine and a half. What else? I'm going to take San Francisco also minus a nine and a half. Uh, similar logic here. I mean, I think the. Green Bay, obviously, everyone is is excited about what they're doing offensively, and Jordan Love has gone from being this guy that people thought, oh, did they make this right decision? Was this a bust? The crazy thing here is, if you think about it, right, Jordan Love is more of a veteran than Brock Purdy, and so it's it's an interesting game to go into with that perspective. But, again, this is one where, you know, if you rewind three weeks or two weeks, all the people were talking about, with Green Bay's really, really poor defense. Um, the other thing here is is I wonder if Green Bay 
Um, if you know, a lot of this game is going to be who gets up early because both these teams play well from the front and less, you know, not as well from the back. And you'd expect San Francisco with the scripted play and the extra prep and the master versus pupil to, to be able to get up in this game and, and win this game relatively easily. Both of those teams, Baltimore, on Chuck Todd's line, Houston was getting seven and a half. Now it's nine and a half. And when Chuck Todd had to make these bets, Green Bay was getting eight, and now it's nine and a half. So they have moved up. I'm not sure where you guys were getting your lines early in the week. I was listening to that. These these lines have been been around nine and a half oh. this, this this whole time. I mean, maybe Carvel's been giving you book book you Carvel. Lines. We just give Carvel whatever points. We, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter with yeah. Carvel. It doesn't matter. What else you got? I'm going to take Tampa plus the six and a half. I think this is like a little bit of an unpopular pick. Um, and, you know, people go into that game last week and they go, oh, Baker is going to be different on the road. He's going to Detroit. I think if there were a narrative here to talk about, it would be which of these teams, Tony, do you think celebrated on Tuesday like it was – or on Monday like it was their Super Bowl? Detroit. I guess Tuesday in Tampa's case. Detroit. Yeah, yeah Detroit. And so if there's a chance of a letdown, it's going to be Detroit. Yep. Um, I also think we've been talking about this Tampa team finally being healthy. Um, and, you know, that, that has been very helpful to them, sort of the, the lines. Um, and I, I just think that the six and a half here is, is too many points for the Detroit team, which is, which, is, which is a good team for sure, um, but is a team that may, may, and obviously it's silly to say a letdown in the playoffs, but they've had a bunch of big games in a row. So I expect, I expect Tampa to be able to keep this game uh, within six and a half. Okay, and in the last game, Buffalo and Kansas City? Last game was such a hard game. It is such a hard game, and, and you know Buffalo. You're seeing in this line the reflection of a few things. One, Buffalo's injuries uh, totally beat up on the defensive side. Also, they're getting two days um, less rest. That's right, you because know, of the postponement. Two days fewer rest and two days fewer uh, prep time than Kansas City. Uh, again, when we talk about these games, you got to think about okay, what what needs to be true for me to like one of these teams and in the case of this game i think if you like kansas city you need to believe that they have kind of like found something in rasheed rice and their offense is is kind of solved and will be a good offense going forward in the buffalo case you need to believe that um they're healthy enough to make this especially on the defensive side to slow down kansas city Uh, i'm going to take buffalo i just think that the, the josh allen thing and this is the the game that gets him over the hump and he's not going to make the normal mistakes he makes and and he's going to be able to put points up at home um and i'm going to take the minus the two and a half but this is a very very in my mind hard game well that's the game that everybody really wants to see i mean that there's a a cast of characters there different than the other games on both sides you know who these people are You've seen them in the playoffs for four or five, six years now. So, all right, we got your picks. Who's on Bet the Process this week? Uh, let's see. This week on Bet the Process, uh, you always ask me this, and it's, it's like it's so early. It's your show. <laughs> I just assumed you'd know, and I always yeah, we, ask. We have, we have Matthew David on, who is a very successful professional better, um, and we talk a lot of NFL. We talk a little, little, a lot of the stuff that we talked about with the market in the NFL. But yeah, we talk about 
every game and, and all the angles. So, yeah, it was. I, I want to give him credit, Matthew David, a good friend of ours who um, is one of the most successful uh, NFL betters and college football betters um, that's out there. Thank you, Jeff, and we will talk next week. Jeff Ma, okay. boys and girls. We'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. Oh, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Let me just read this. This week's picks with James Carville and Jeff Mobb been brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Chris Ullman, Binghamton's own national champion whistler. I thought he was a world champion. Maybe it's a world champion. He's got a book out and all of that stuff. Yeah. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Breath control. Yes, great breath control. Uh, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. They are open despite the snow. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop one in, my friend, and you will be thrilled. Now, did That'll... the snow lift up your car? <laughs> it was a tiny little car. Yeah, it was it's really stupid. Oddly enough, DC was fine. When you got north into Bethesda, they were no like, good. oh, we were supposed to do something with the roads? Yeah. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say get born, keep warm, short pants, romance, learn to dance, get dressed, get blessed, try to be a success. Please are please him, buy gifts, don't steal, don't lift. 20 years of school, and then they put you on the day shift. Look out, kid. You keep it all head. Better jump down a manhole, light yourself a candle. Don't wear sandals. Try to avoid the scandals. Don't want to be a bum. You better chew gum to pump. Don't work because the vandals took the handles. Robert Zimmerman, Hibbing, Minnesota. <laughs> uh, thanks to our guests today, Pat Forty, James Carville, Jeff Ma. Thanks to our sponsors. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. From Justin Winkleman in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. I have to agree with my NFC North brethren, Nick and St. Paul. We here in the Midwest root for our conference when we don't have a dog in the fight. Your lifelong East Coast habitat will not allow you to accept this Midwestern truth. This is like, it's his praise of Wilbon, obviously. As a longtime suffering Lions fan until this year, someone else in our conference was the best we could always root for. Made me happy to see the Packers trounce the Cowboys. And we're hoping lightning will strike twice with the Pack beating the 49ers. Then if we take care of business against the Buccaneers, we will not only host the NFC Championship game, it will also assert the NFC North as the strongest division in the conference. Fingers are crossed, this becomes a reality, and then the Lions can ex- excise their Thanksgiving Day demons. The Super Bowl matchup with the best storyline by far would be the Lions and Bills. One team who's never been to the Super Bowl, sure. and the other could never close the bill, a deal four times in a row. One city breaks the seal and comes away very, very happy. There's also a Great Lakes kinship with Buffalo. Ralph Wilson was a Detroiter, even though he owned the Bills. Detroit hosted a home Viking game when the Metrodome roof deflated from the weight of the snow in 2010. And then in oh, 2022, yeah. Detroit hosted a Bills home game when one to three feet of lake effect snow was forecast to envelop Buffalo. Do you think Philadelphia would have hosted a Giants game if they had issues in New York? Not on your life. God willing, the stars align for Detroit this season. And he says, P.S., I find it very amusing that Wilbon's unstated life goal seems to never experience snow again, ever. <laughs> well, he's experiencing it this morning. Yes, he is. Home. I'm Team so Cheryl th- on this one. So that yeah. was in favor of Wilbon's philosophy. Yes. I think there's a few that go the other way. Yep. This is from Bill Isaacson. <laughs> 
I was born in Milwaukee, Called raised the there, and other places in the Midwest. <laughs> I'm writing to say to you that Wilbon's description to you of Midwesterners as rooting for one another once you get to the playoffs is a load of Carville words. <laughs> what you heard was someone from Chicago whose residents somehow look upon themselves as the New York City of the Midwest. They even think they have something in common with Toronto so they can pretend they like French restaurants. What Wilbon was shoveling is something people from Chicago say with a condescending smile and with their frozen lakefront noses in the air. They say these things like they would pat a child on the head and say, you are cute. Let me be clear how this really works. I'm a Packer fan. I hate the Bears. I hope they die soon. And then spend an eternity down below talking about how they had the so-called greatest team of all time that won only one Super Bowl and debating how to spell dynasty. I dislike the Vikings and hope they never win a playoff game again. I laugh at how long the Vikings played indoors. I don't care about the Lions. But for this year, the most I will say about the Lions is that I have never wished anyone that much suffering. So I can tolerate this a little while long. Okay. Uh, from Andy Kernan, I'm a Cincinnatian and thus a fan of the Bengals. This year we've had the misfortune of getting to watch every other team in the AFC North make the playoffs. Mm. Wilbon would tell you that as Midwesterners we would be rooting for each of the Browns, Steelers, and Ravens to advance, divisional solidarity or something. Now I can't speak for our upper Midwestern brethren in the NFC North, but I can tell you how delighted we were that Flacco turned back into the pumpkin we always knew he was (laughs) and that the Steelers got walloped again in the playoffs. In fact, as far as the city of Cincinnati is concerned, the only thing preferable to a Steelers loss is for the whole team to be sucked into a sinkhole. And as for Baltimore, they're an East Coast team anyway, so rooting for them to lose should be fine in Wilbon's book. P.S. And in years where they play each other, one word, sinkhole. P.P.S. Remember that scene in Dark Knight Rises where a team got looked, looked like the Steelers playing and then Heinz Field got sucked into a giant hole? <laughs> that sure was great, Andy in Cincinnati. From Josh Cromwell in Moselle, Mississippi. Far be it from me to tell Wilbon he's wrong, but he's definitely got the sports fan thing all wrong. You don't root for your rivals. Hating is the most enjoyable aspect of being a sports fan. Yes. At the end of every season, only one team is winning at all, and the odds of that being your team are incredibly slim. On the flip side, every other team is ending their season as a loser, and if you hate three and four of those, you get to bask in the schadenfreude of their losing every single year. Even if one somehow wins, there's still at least one or two other hated teams that failed. And the most disappointing thing is that he should know this because he knew how great it was to see the Cowboys lose. He really needs to rethink his position on this. Patrick Graham in Catonsville, Maryland. Two things struck me about Wilbon's assertion. He cheers for the rivals of the Bears once they've been eliminated. First, he spent an awful lot of time cheering for teams other than the Bears, especially lately. Second, he's crazy. I've been a long-suffering Washington fan from a family of long-suffering Washington fans, and the thought of cheering for a division rival is so foreign to me that it harbors on the ridiculous. I now live outside of Baltimore. My wife and children cheer for the Ravens, a well-run, class organization with the most exciting player in the league at quarterback. I stubbornly cling to the old maroon and black, knowing that if I ever changed allegiance, my grandmother would come out of our grave and haunt me in the John Riggins jersey she'd wear to our house on Sundays to watch the games. My distaste for the teams in the NFC East is so east is so deep, I don't even draft any players from those teams on my fantasy football team, so I won't be tempted to cheer for them. Yep, this is everything. I'll have a beer with their fans, even split a meal. My roommates and closest friends in college were Eagles and Giants fans, but I revel in the failure of their teams and look back fondly at the days Washington ruled the division. Despite the Commanders being nowhere near the playoffs, this past weekend was spectacular as the Cowboys and Eagles failed and their fans now share the deep disappointment Washington fans have felt since the glory days of Joe Gibbs and the Hogs. From John Morgan, Jonesboro, Arizona, as a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan, I totally concur with Wilbon's rooting principles, except for the Cubs, of course, and the Reds because Dusty managed the Cubs, and the Royals because Don Denginger cheated us out of the World Series in 1985, and the Twins because they beat us in the 87 World Series. I hope they lose every single game they play in perpetuity. Other than that, though, I'm in total agreement with Wilbon's theory. 
from Chris Bansell in Forest Hill, Maryland. I was catching up on the pod while shoveling snow yesterday. I heard Wilbon's ridiculous kumbaya cheer for my rivals theory. <laughs> what is even the point of being a sports fan if you're not going to wish pain and misery on your rivals at all times? Exactly. I went to the University of Maryland where your friend Gary won the national championship. In that stretch, we had to play those smug blue rum dumps from Durham <laughs> two, three, even four times a year. The Terps have been in the Big Ten for more than a decade now, and I still hate Duke. I rejoice when they lose. I text friends about it to share my joy. In fact, I told all four of my children they can apply to any college they want. But if they even think about applying to Duke, they're not only out of the will, out of the house immediately. (laughs) I guess my East Coast bias is showing, but I'm 100% with Cheryl on this one. Um, My daughter-in-law, Michael's wife, is a Dukie. Yes. Uh, Bootsy did an art class the other day. He came back with an impressionist photo that I said looked like, or painting, looked like uh, the old Terps colors. Liz got mad at that (laughs) one. (laughs) From Eileen Robinson in Rochester, Minnesota. The man related to me by marriage has the same issue with zippers. He has fat fingers, so it's hard for him to zip up his favorite Columbia winter coat. He has not one, not two, not three, but four winter coats with which he has zipper issues. It's hard to please a man living in Minnesota, especially with sub-zero temperatures and a Subaru. That's wonderful. (laughs) Um, From Matt in the Yukon in Alaska, Matt Davidson. In northern Canada, we speak the King's English. Well, in the Yukon, Yukon Territories is Canada. Yes. It's, not in, it's near Alaska. It's not in Alaska. I got that wrong. In northern Canada, we speak the King's English. We routinely handle minus 40 Celsius, which to the best of my limited knowledge is the only temperature at which Celsius and Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit are equal. Please consider scheduling another interview with your local meteorologist to verify. If he's unavailable, this should do. It's cold. After yesterday's show, I've learned we also zip the King's zippers. Yeah, it's the other side. It's the British zipper. But you figured it out. See, I did. From Josh in Toronto, another Canadian. My boss, Chris Wilson, gave you the carbon jacket. Wow. We work for CBC Sports in Canada. We are Olympic rights holders. Not all jackets and or coats in Canada zip on the British side. Okay, well, this one does. It, yeah. And I figured it out. I mean, I'm working at it. Yeah. It was nice and warm. <laughs> Kevin Disher, Bay City, Michigan. For the past two weeks, I've been having to pull my L.L. Bean down jacket over my head because the zipper was compromised <laughs> in some fashion. Four links in the chain above the bottom. Several people suggest that I take it to a cobbler in my hometown who apparently works miracles on both shoes and all things that fasten. I entered his downtown store this morning, told him my problem. He didn't speak a word. He just stopped the work he was doing, took my jacket, smiled at me, and began pressing and bending and molding with fingers as agile as a ballerina. In 10 minutes, my zipper sailed through my jacket like a Yankee clipper. He also stitched a hole that has been leaking white feathers for months. He charged me $5. Unbelievably, listening to your podcast this afternoon, I heard you have zipper problems of your own. Send me your jacket. I will take it to the guru. I trust he will change your zipper from the English to the American, or he will replace it without a blemish. Trust me, Mr. Tony. El jefe de zapatos y cremaralia will make your jacket right. A cobbler. Who knew? Andrew Frank. I'm not sure if this is possibly a new classification of a David Aldrich moment. However, I would think so. While walking my dog in my Eddie Bauer fleece-lined pants in the nine-degree weather in northwest Arkansas while listening to the pod last week, I thought, hey, Tony has my pants. <laughs> the dog walk itself was miserable for myself, but my Australian shepherd was in heaven. My legs, of course, were quite cozy in the fleece-lined pants. I've got two pair, one khaki-colored, one gray. The pockets you deplore are quite nifty for holding my keys and snacks for my two-year-old. Going for a walk in sub-15 degrees cold and snow-covered sidewalks is about as wise as bedding with Reginald. That's lovely. Yeah, but do your pants fit? That's Yeah, That's, his pants probably fit. It, yeah. He's got two pair. If you're out on your bike tight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Hey, Dad. Dad, honey. Tony. Dad, Dad listen up. honey. Dad, Tony. Dad, Dad, honey. Tony. Dad, Tony. Dad, honey. Tony. Listen up. Yeah, it lasted 20 episodes. <laughs> 
Come here 